Now, before I preach today, I am so excited because Shelby Reed let us know she was coming to town. And there's a song that I so love, and Shelby's going to sing it this morning. So would you welcome Shelby as she releases the love of Jesus? There you go, girl.
so good, huh? So, so, so good. Shelby, Shelby, Shelby. When you were singing, I was thinking, where is Shelby? Where did she go? Somebody tell me. Or yell at me. She's in the bathroom? Oh, okay. <laughs> when you were singing, Shelby, I was thinking about that scripture that um, in Revelation that uh, Jesus said, I have the key of David. You have the key of David, man. Oh, you just unlock things in the heavens over our lives when you sing. So good. How many think Jesus is telling Shelby to move back to Rapid City? Yeah. That, that is uh, maybe not Jesus, but at least it's your home church that loves you. Grab your notes, grab your Bibles, and uh, let's get ready to jump in this morning. I uh, am excited to share with you guys again after uh, Jeff shared a couple weeks ago, did an amazing job on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, both services, and man, I wish you guys could have been here second service. He just broke out into ministry time right in the middle of his message, and the altar filled up with people that were crying, and it was so powerful, and Jeff has just got such an anointing on his life. What an awesome young man. And then last week, oh my goodness, Derek just knocked a home run, didn't he? The message he brought, the worship, so good. I got online this week to listen to him preach, and not because I wanted to critique him, but because I wanted to be blessed by the anointing and the gift that's on his life. And man, it was just such a good word about the lost son and the breaking down of the us and them and just loving everybody the way Jesus loves them and not being the old critical older brother. Gosh, it was so good. And so it is great as a pastor to know that I can leave town and you guys didn't even notice. How's that? It's pretty cool, huh? But I am fired up. I am back um, from a conference. As I mentioned earlier, I was at a Sean Bowles conference last year at the end of the year, Tan, and I felt like the Lord moved on our heart to take Leo Joseph, who's Bishop Joseph's son, uh, out to, really out to Reading, but via another conference. We had enough um, airline points to fly without being able to pay. That's always awesome, isn't it? And uh, so we had a multi-city flight that cost us nothing. That's awesome. And uh, we went to uh, Sean Bolt's conference in L.A., and we got to hear Sean and Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, and we got to hear several others that spoke, and the worship was amazing. But then we, we flew, I got up at 3 o'clock last Sunday morning, flew to Sacramento, drove to Reading, and went to church. And uh, we went to the 1 o'clock service. Bill Johnson preached. We were on the second row. <laughs> I don't even know how we got on the second row. It was like a reserved. Somehow we got in a side door when we walked up. It was open, so we walked in. And the next thing you know, we're talking to a lady and sitting on the second row. And, it, and so we're right there, right in, in Bill's face. It was so cool. And uh, then we went back Sunday night. And uh, you know the guy who wrote No Longer Slaves was leading worship that night? Jonathan and David Helzer. And, uh, oh my goodness, it was off the chain. So I'm on fire. That's what I'm saying. So Gary, what you told, who told me that Gary told him? Brian. He said, Gary said, you just watch when pastor gets back today, he's going to be on fire. And I am on fire. I'm so excited and full. There's God is doing things in the world, man. It's amazing what God is doing right now. And I'm so thankful we get to be in on it, huh? So I am going to continue this morning. I want, to, I want to talk some more about the word. I've got a prophetic word for you for 2018. The prophetic word. It's one word. What's the word? Jesus is our prophetic word for 2018. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the 
word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here's what he said about himself in John 8, 58. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That's what we've been studying the last several weeks. Is we've been talking about how Jesus is our I am. He's not just I was taking care of our past or I will be so we can future trip and worry or wonder about the future. But he is our I am right now on every single day of this 2018 year. And we've been looking at there's several statements Jesus makes where he declares what that means for him or what that means for us, for him to be our I am. And we're in John chapter 8 again this week. We started studying this a couple of weeks ago. But we're going to wrap this section up this morning. Jesus spoke to them saying, here's, here's the I am. We've already studied Jesus as the bread. He said, I am the bread. Speaking of the manna that came down from heaven. This time he says in John 8, I am the light of the world, by the way, he doesn't just say, I'm the light of the church. Are you with me? The, the word is actually cosmos there. There's nowhere that we can go in the cosmos to get away from the light of the cosmos. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's what we begin to study a few weeks ago, and, and I won't go back and review why this is true, but what Jesus is saying in this statement is, in your notes, I am, Jesus is our fire by night. He's saying, I am your fire by night. Just like in the, in the, in the book of Exodus where it says, in, in the book of Numbers, where it talks about how Jesus is our, or, or it talks about how God is the cloud by day and the fire by night. Jesus is revealing to us that he is our fire by night. And what we studied about that is that Jesus, in your notes, is our internal GPS. As the fire by night led the children of Israel, so Jesus, by his spirit, leads us, and we do not have to fear missing him. Now, is the big point of the message that I preached three weeks ago. I can't believe it's been that long ago now. Three weeks ago when I shared this, the big point is you don't have to be afraid of missing the will of God. Now, if you want to miss it, you can, right? You're free to miss the will of God if you say, I don't want his will. But he, first of all, put the yes in our heart to even want his will. That's good news, right? He works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So we don't have to be afraid of making decisions and think that waiting on the Lord means sitting on the couch, eating potatoes, watching Netflix, right? That waiting on the Lord, we're engaging in the process. We're knocking on doors, but we're trusting that he's the one that's going to open the right doors. We, he, God can't steer a parked car was the phrase, right? So we're trusting as we're moving forward on a daily basis that God is directing our paths by the peace in us. Sometimes that peace will direct us, no, don't go that direction. Or sometimes we'll just sense the peace of God in us that'll let us know, yeah, you're on the right path, you're going the right direction. Or sometimes, how many of you know you don't even trust your own, I never trust my ability to hear. Let me just say that right now. I trust his ability to speak. You with me? I never trust my ability to hear. I always trust his ability to speak. I never trust my ability to follow. I always trust his ability to lead. So sometimes I'm not sure if I'm, is that really me or is it you? Am I getting this right? My emotions are mixed up in this decision. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Everybody been there? 
And the good news is he's your fire by night. He's going to make sure that you end up where you're supposed to end up. He's your internal GPS and he will recalculate if he needs to recalculate to get you where you're supposed to go. So as I was, as I was studying this several weeks ago, and one of the things I like to do is I'll go back and I'll look up every place that Greek word was used in the New Testament for whatever subject I'm studying. So I was looking up this idea of him being the light of the world, and, and I'd been studying about him being our, our fire by night. But then I looked back at how many times this Greek word was used throughout the New Testament, and I found a place in the book of Mark where light is actually translated as fire. Because that's what we've been studying, that he is our fire by night, and that's what Jesus meant in the context of where he was speaking and when he was speaking. He was letting them know, I'm the fire by night that you read about in the Old Testament. And I found it in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verse 54. It's tucked into this little story that you might be familiar with where it says that Peter had followed him, Jesus, at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the... That's the word, that's the same Greek word that Jesus uses when he calls himself the light of the world. He was warming himself at the fire. Now, anybody know what this story is about? Anybody remember? Don't be afraid. You're not going to get an F. I won't flunk you. That's it. That's it. You guys got it. This is the story of Peter's denial. Now, if you back up just a little bit in the story, you remember it's the Last Supper and it's over and and then Jesus is talking about how some, some of them are going to betray, one of them is going to betray him, and all of them are going to turn their back on him. And you remember Peter stands up and says, Not me, Lord. Though others forsake you, I will die for you. I will never deny you, right? We sometimes can make big statements about our lives when we haven't been through the fire, right? And so he says, There's no way. I mean, and he, I believe he means it. I don't think Peter's just saying that. I, I think that, of course, Peter always leads with his mouth. <laughs> I can kind of relate to this guy, right? He always leads with his mouth, but he, he, I think he means what he's saying. He, he loves Jesus. And the, one of the reasons I think he means what he's saying is he took the, the sword and chopped off the ear of the dude that tried to get near Jesus, right? I mean, I think he meant what he was saying. He just didn't get Jesus' plan. And when everything started to fall apart and unravel and it went a direction that he never foresaw, he didn't get it even though Jesus had been telling him. I mean, Jesus can tell you something over and over and if you don't have the paradigm for it, you don't get it yet. Until the paradigm shifts, you don't get what he's saying. You interpret what he's saying through your paradigm. And that's what he did. He interpreted all the stuff Jesus said. In fact, he even rebuked Jesus for saying he was going to the cross, Right? No, I'm your PR guy, Jesus. Bad, don't talk like that. It's going to mess up the whole Messiah thing we got going here, right? He didn't get it at all. So he doesn't, it's not that he's trying to just be boastful and proud. I think he really thinks this about himself. I would never do this. There's not a chance that I would ever deny you. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you something. Simon, and, and he calls him Simon. Most of the time he calls him Peter, Right? Most of the time he always says, you know, this is who you really are, right? You're really a rock. But this time he says Simon, which, you know, flaky, shaky, read like his name that he's born with means that he's given at birth. Jesus changed it to Peter, but this time Jesus calls him Simon because he wants him to know 
there's some things going on in the way that your paradigm is. Now listen, he's not speaking to the truth of Peter's identity. When he calls him Simon, he's not saying there's something faulty in your identity. When he speaks to Peter, he's calling forth the true identity. When he says Simon, he's speaking to the false identity. He's speaking to the, the belief system, the paradigm, the, the, the lens through which Peter sees life. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. One translation I read this week said, Satan has asked permission to separate you as chaff from me. Saying that Jesus is the wheat. And he believes, Satan believes you're nothing but chaff. And he's asked permission to separate you from me. But I have prayed for you. That's like one of the greatest, right? Right there. I kind of think Jesus' prayers get answered. What do you guys think? You know, I kind of... So there's got to be a certain sense. I mean, of course, Peter doesn't even believe he's going to deny Jesus at all. But he said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Again, let me say, Peter, Jesus' prayers get answered, right? We think that when Peter denies Jesus, his faith failed. But Jesus said... I have prayed your faith won't fail. You're going to go through something, Peter. You're going to deny me. He tells him that. He even tells him it's going to happen three times, right? Before the rooster crows. You will deny me. But I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you have turned again, when you're restored, strengthen your brothers. Right? He prophesies over him right there. You're going to go through something. You're actually going to deny me three times. But your faith isn't going to fail, Peter. Wow, that's quite a thought, isn't it? That kind of redefines how we think about some of our stumblings, right? If we stumble, we think our faith failed. But actually, it's the faith of Jesus in us anyways, isn't it? That raises us back in, raises us back up out of our stumblings. He said, so I prayed for you. You're going to be restored. Now, we go back to the book of John. And remember... In Mark, it talks about him standing by the fire, and it's the same word that's used for light. John doesn't use that same word, but he flushes out the story this way. It says, then the slave girl, just a little slave girl, who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a, and I want you to notice in this case in John, it's a charcoal fire. For it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. John paints the picture that they're by a charcoal fire. And as they're by this fire, it's in the light of this fire that Peter denies Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus uses, the, and, the, and the word in, in Mark is used for this fire, that it's the light, the same word that Jesus uses about himself. What, what I feel like the Lord began to speak to me is about the beauty of Jesus as our fire, in your notes, that reveals impurities. That reveals, fire reveals impurities. That's one of the things that fire does, right? When you put gold in the fire... It's so that the impurities in the gold will come up to the surface, right? And then they can be scooped off. When the refiner sits by the fire with the silver, it's, it's not to turn the silver into silver. The silver is already silver. It's to remove from the silver what's not silver. 
right? The fire serves the purpose of revealing the impurities. Now, this is probably why Jesus in John chapter 3 talks about people not wanting to be in the light. Because they're afraid that their deeds will be exposed, right? So they don't want to come to the light. We, we, not they, not they, we. We don't want to come to the light because we're afraid that if we come to the light, our deeds would be exposed. But there would be so much freedom for us if we realized our deeds are not us. Not the real us. Are you with me? Our deeds don't define us. We're afraid to come to the light because we, we struggle with trusting the character of the fire, the nature of the fire. Is this a fire of wrath or this is, is this a fire of love? Yes. It is a fire. Wrath is not the opposite of love. Wrath is an expression of love, not against you, but for you. Wrath is actually for you. Wrath is not against, remember when John says later on in one of his little books that the children of God are not subject to his wrath. So his wrath is not against us. His wrath is actually on our side and the purpose of wrath is to reveal those areas where we're believing a lie. To reveal those areas where not because it's the real us is messed up, no, all things were made new. When you became a believer in Jesus, all things are made new. All things passed away, right? The real you is holy. The real you is righteous. The real you is perfect, actually, to use New Testament language. The real you is perfect, beautiful, flawless. The Passion Translation chooses that word. The real you is flawless. The fire doesn't Turn up the heat so you can find out you're a false, phony, fake hypocrite. The heat is turned up so that you and I can see, oh, there's some areas I wasn't believing right. There's some areas that weren't lining up with the will and purposes of God for my life. And because he is fire, his fiery wrath is removing everything that hinders his love. I'm talking about wrath with a smile on my face. This is New Testament understanding of the wrath of God. He hates, you know when the Old Testament says he hates the sinner? He, what he hates is the old Adam, the first Adam. He hates the sinner. You're not a sinner anymore, huh? He hates the old false identity that never really was you anyways. Woo! You're right, Gary. I'm excited today. I can't help myself. So fire reveals impurities. And as I've already been saying, fire exposes where we're still reverting to our false identity. Your old man, the old you, died with Jesus. D-E-D, dead, right? And all we do is, I've said this before, and I date myself, all we do is it's like weekend at Bernie's. And we take the dead man and prop him up and try to make him real. Right? We walk him around, parade him around. We believe he's, or we try to, we're convinced he's alive. Others are convinced he's alive, but he's dead. Bernie's dead. Bernie's dead. Tell your neighbor Bernie's dead, all right? 
Bernie is dead. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm not even telling you you should, all right? I'm just saying if you have, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's, our, that's a false identity. The reason we actually sin is because we revert back to an old way of thinking. Not because we have two natures fighting it out on the inside of us. We're not spiritually schizophrenic. There's one new man. There's one new man on the inside of us. huh? And so the problem Paul talks about, it's in our mind, right? We renew our mind so that those thinking patterns that we were raised with, the fire, Jesus as the fire in our lives, causes, just like with Peter, as he was by the fire that night, he found out there were some areas he was messed up on. Some ways he was thinking about who Jesus was that were wrong. And when they got exposed, he didn't know how to deal with them. And he found out he was capable of doing something he didn't even know he was capable of doing. That's good news. That's not bad news. Well, it's really bad news for Peter. No, Jesus actually told him, this is going to happen to you, but your faith isn't going to fail. You're going to be restored and you're going to strengthen your brothers, right? In fact, I want you to look in your notes at John chapter 21. So we're at the end of the resurrections happen. This is the very end of the book of John. It's the last time that Jesus is showing up in the book of John. And Peter's gone out fishing with his friends. And in fact, the implication of the text is he's like, forget this. He knows Jesus has risen, but he feels unworthy to follow Jesus because he's denied him. He knows now that Jesus is resurrected. By John 21, he's fully convinced of that. But the implication of the text is he's like, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to my old vocation. He does not need to have somebody like me on his team. I don't deserve to be on his team. It wasn't that he didn't believe Jesus had risen. He already knew that. He'd already seen it. He already believed it, right? He, this is a point where he feels so unworthy, and Jesus, again, is about to shift his paradigm with fire. John chapter 21, verse 9. So when they got out on the land, remember, they had this big catch of fish. Jesus told them to cast out on the right side of the boat. They saw what kind of fire? Oh, Jesus uses the same kind of fire, the same kind of fire that Peter had denied him at. The charcoal fire is where Peter had denied him. Jesus goes up to the beach and builds a charcoal fire as if to say, Peter, this thing is not bothering me like it's bothering you. Get right over here with me, Peter. You don't have to always turn your face and hide from a charcoal fire now, Peter. I want you to meet me at the charcoal fire. Oh, I want you to meet me at the charcoal fire. That's journey stuff right there, isn't it, Lyle? That's, that's journey stuff right there. You go through and you say, you know what? I can face that now, that charcoal fire, because I'm facing it with Jesus. That very place where I failed, that very place where I found out I was believing wrong, that very place where I made wrong decisions, Jesus is waiting for me at the charcoal fire. <laughs> and this is the very place where Jesus says to him, do you love me? Do you love me? The third time, do you like me? <laughs> Am I your friend? Right? He changes even. And each time, Peter's, you know, Jesus, you know all things, right? You know. You know, I, first he says, do you love me? Peter says, I like you. <laughs> do you love me? Peter says, you're my friend. 
Last time he says, do you like me? And Peter's finally like, Jesus, you know all things. And he's like, yes, I do know all things. And you're going to feed my sheep. You're going to feed my lambs. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to be who I've called you to be, Peter. You're going to rise up from the ashes of this charcoal fire. And one day, just 40 days, or just a few days from now, actually, on the day of Pentecost, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the very one who denied me is going to be the first one that I used to preach on that day. I mean, come on. That's what fire does. Fire doesn't only expose. Fire doesn't only uh, show us where we believe wrong. But in your notes, fire burns away everything that's hindering our true identity. Fire burns away everything that's hindering our true identity. In fact, you can write it this way in your notes. Fire restores. Fire restores. I'm going to take the last few minutes and just wrap this up. The context of this very passage teaches us that. The same passage where Jesus is saying, I am light of the world. The very context of that, the first 11 verses before he says, I'm the light of the world, is the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. That's right, Jesus, turn the light on that woman. Is that how that story went? Turn the light on that woman, expose her for who she really is. Actually, he did. He exposed who she really was. He said, I don't condemn you. Now you're free to go and sin no more. He didn't say go and sin no more and I won't condemn you. Right? He said, I don't condemn you. From that place, you can go and be who you really are. The fire set her free in that moment. It also did expose the lies and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Right? So in your notes, fire, the light exposes religious judgmentalism and it restores the woman caught in adultery. Lastly, in this, lastly, John chapter 9, which is just a few verses away, there's a little argument that goes on between Jesus and the Pharisees during John 8. But when John 9 opens up, it opens up with the story of the man who was born blind. In John 1, let's just read it. It says, walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents causing him to be born blind? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. (laughs) Don't expect to get an answer from God when you ask the wrong question. He'll he'll answer, he'll say something, but it might not be an answer to that question. Because there's a lot riding on this question. There's a lot going on with what they're asking. Who sinned? Who do we put the blame on? We need to do some inner healing here, and the only way we can do it is to point out someone's sin. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, it's talking about when he's crucified, the work day is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light because I am. This is the next time he says it right here. I am the light of the world. I am the world's light. So the context, John 8 starts with a woman caught in adultery being restored by Jesus and religion exposed. John chapter 9 starts with religion being exposed and a blind man being healed. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. What's he saying? In your notes, the light reveals what God is doing. Oh, the light's just going to show all the bad stuff. No, actually, the primary purpose of the light is to show us what God's up to. 
He wants to show us what he's doing so we can partner with him. And lastly, the light heals without placing blame. This restorative fire, this restoring light heals without placing blame on the person who's receiving the healing. That's a big deal right there. Well, maybe we'll see if the Lord will heal you if we find out all the hidden secrets of your past and we deal with every one of them, one by one. That's not how Jesus dealt with this, was it? Jesus said, we need to know what Jesus, is, what, what the Father's doing and do what he's doing. And he spit in the mud and he made eyeballs just like he did in Genesis chapter 1. And the guy walked away, the light opened his eyes. A lot of people saw that day. The blind man saw. A lot of people were blind too. The Pharisees remained blind. Even though the light, the only way you can miss out on the light is to squeeze your eyes closed. You can't make the light stop shining though. The Pharisees chose to squeeze their eyes closed, but those disciples got a wake-up call that day. They found out that Jesus was about healing and restoring, not about pointing his finger at people. They'd seen it with the woman caught in adultery. They see it with a man born blind, that if he's pointing his finger, it's only to say, you be healed. You be set free. You be who you're called to be. You rise up and the light will shine on you. Let's stand. Amen. Ha, 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 ha. Shaka. Lyle, you want to stand with me, Pastor? If you, I don't know why I always start with if you are here. Everyone's here, right? <laughs> Let's say you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. It's a great day to do it. You want to get to know the light of the world today? Raise your hand real high. Anyone never given their life to Jesus? Me and Pastor Lyle are watching right now just to agree with you and let me know that you want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let him know. Raise your hand real high. Anyone need to do that today? Here's how I felt like we we're supposed to close this morning. I, uh, I want to agree with you for healing for your body. Now with that condemnation lifted off of you, some of you have felt like I can't be healed because I don't have enough faith. It's not your faith anyways. It's the faith of the Son of God. Some of you have felt like I can't be healed because look at all the stupid stuff I've done. He's pointing at you saying be healed today. He didn't heal the blind man because the blind man deserved it. He hasn't ever healed anybody because anybody deserved it. He healed because it's who he is. Oh, it's who he is. He's a healer and he wants you healed this morning. He's just that good. If you need healing in your body today, I felt like one of the things as I was praying for you guys last night that there were some people maybe with carpal tunnel today that were having some trouble even opening, and maybe it's arthritis, even opening cans and, and having, having a difficulty with using your hands. If that's you, just take your hands and lift them to the Lord right now. I speak right now healing into your hands, into your joints. I release you right now. I just declare, I declare in agreement with Him because of who He is. You are released from the pain of arthritis this morning. You are released from even rheumatoid arthritis this morning. Uh, you're released from carpal tunnel this morning. And your wrists and your hand, your fingers, they just begin to move freely. You just begin to move them around this morning. That's specifically one thing that I heard, but I think there's other people here with other issues that you need healing. I want you to raise your hand if that's you. And somebody that's close to someone that has their hand raised that needs healing in their body, would you get close to them and place a hand on their shoulder? Let's just agree. Let's be the body. Mark 16 just says we lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. So that's pretty that's simple. Our part is just to lay hands on the sick. His part is the healing. So we, 
I love what Randy Clark, some of those guys say, if you pray longer than 15 seconds, you prayed too long. You don't have to convince God to heal. Jesus never did that. Never, 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 never did Jesus pray and beg God to heal anybody. Never did Jesus say, if it be your will, when he was praying for healing. Never, never, not even one time did he. Can't find it, right? So I want you just to place your hand on their shoulder. Let's just declare, right now we declare over you that you are healed in Jesus' name. We just declare you're released from all infirmity, whatever has been binding you, hurting you, whatever you've been struggling with physically. We declare this morning you're completely healed and freed up. Some people's backs are just getting loose and free right now. I feel like someone else maybe had a neck injury that uh, you're still having repercussions from. Just begin to move your neck around. It's almost like I just keep getting these things with joints and and uh, ligaments and just parts of you moving your body, freeing up your movement this morning. Freeing you up in Jesus' name. There's other issues in the house. We just declare that there's no name that's too big. Cancer is not a bigger name than the name of Jesus. We declare the name of Jesus is above every other name. We declare it over you this morning. We declare you are healed. You're not sick trying to get healed. You're the healed and sickness is just trying to be attached to your body. That's not your true identity though. Your true identity is you are healed. You are free, you are loved, you are flawless, you're beautiful, you're perfect. All this is true of you today and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give him praise today because he's worthy of it.